Welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Podcast. Each week, we interview the best and brightest in physical therapy, wellness, and entrepreneurship. We give you cutting-edge information you need to live your best life, healthy, wealthy, and smart. The information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be used as personalized medical advice. And now, here's your host, Dr. Karen Litzy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I am your host, Karen Litzy, and today's episode is brought to you by NetHealth. So when it comes to boosting your clinic's online visibility, reputation, and referrals, NetHealth's digital marketing solutions has the tools you need to beat the competition. They know you want your clinic to get found, get chosen, and definitely get those five-star reviews on Google. If you sign up and complete a marketing audit to learn how digital marketing solutions can help your clinic win, they will buy lunch for your office. If you're already using NetHealth Private Practice EMR, be sure to ask about its new integration, head over to nethealth.com forward slash L-I-T-Z-Y to sign up for your complimentary marketing audit today. Okay, on to today's episode. I'm really happy to welcome onto the program Dr. Carrie Peak. She is a physiotherapist, behavioral scientist, strength and conditioning coach, and sports injury researcher with the University of Sydney. She has over 20 years of clinical experience in both Australia and the UK, working with many athletes across a range of sports, age groups, and playing levels, including elite athletes in football, or as we say in America, soccer, rugby, motor racing, American football, and athletics. Her current research is focused on mitigating sports-related head and neck injuries, which we talk about in depth today, and has just completed a project on neck strengthening and heading funded by a FIFA research scholarship. Carrie has presented to the UEFE Medical Committee and assisted in drafting UEFA's heading guidelines. Carrie is the chair of the New South Wales State Council for Sports Medicine Australia. So I actually got to see Carrie present some of her research in Monaco and it was so interesting and just so cool that I couldn't wait to have her on. So everyone enjoy my interview today with Dr. Carrie Peake. Hey, Carrie, welcome to the podcast. I'm so happy to have you on. Thank you so much for inviting me. And just so people get our connection, I was uh, in Monaco for the IOC conference and I went to one of the platform presentations and you were uh, discussing your research and I found it to be fascinating. So you do a lot of work with the neck and head and I just absolutely loved it. I loved your presentation. I learned so much about it. And then as I dug deeper into you, I realized that you and my friend Evangelos Pappas, there was a connection there. So I texted Evangelos and I said, do you know Carrie Peak?" He said, yeah. I'm like, oh, cool. Could you like tell her that, you know, I really liked her presentation because I was like, and, and I'm, I'm sitting right behind her. <laughs> so I don't know if he texted you that you probably thought I was like a psycho or something. I'm like, I'm sitting behind her. He did text me that. And it was just really funny to have this funny conversation between Australia and we're in Monaco and you're American and yeah, saying, oh, Karen's sitting behind you. Make sure that you introduce yourself. Yeah. After the presentations are finished. Yeah, that was funny, but I loved your presentation. So now I can't wait to talk about your research on this episode. So I'll just kind of throw it over to you to talk about kind of the body of your research and why you chose the topic that you did. 
so yes, yeah, so I started as a physiotherapist. I graduated in the late 90s. Um, I graduated in the UK and I worked with Don Gatherer, who was a real mentor to me. And he was the former England rugby physio and also went to two Olympic games. And he'd really developed a practice which specialised in neck rehabilitation. And this was an area that I don't really remember studying an awful lot at university. Like we did manual therapy and really as soon as you got patients pain-free, they were free to go. Like I don't remember really doing a lot of neck exercises. And so we had lots of players that played rugby. We had um, bobsleigh athletes. Um, we had Formula One drivers coming into the clinic um, who had had a history of, of head or neck injuries. So um, concussion, which wasn't really talked about much in the 90s. Um, but looking back, a lot of them were concussed. And we started doing a lot of rehabilitation. And I really am an exercise-based physiotherapist. I didn't really like doing manual therapy. And so it was just fascinating to to really come from that perspective to see, okay, what's the mechanism of injury and how can we replicate this, you know, doing various exercises that are really sport specific. Um, I then moved to Australia and um, had children and got distracted by doing other things for a few years. And it wasn't until my son as an eight-year-old was heading a football that I thought, actually, we should probably be looking at neck exercises in this cohort, considering they're using their head to, you know, deliberately redirect the ball. Um, and that really sort of got me down this, um, I suppose, research rabbit hole, because at that time I was doing my PhD. And um, since then I've moved to the University of Sydney. And so really what my research is focused on now is how we can mitigate sports related head and neck injuries. And so, of course, you know, my next question is, how, what is the rationale for why training the muscles around the neck can play a role in reducing sports-related head and neck injuries? Because, boy, it seems like some low-hanging fruit, right? Doesn't cost a lot of money, easy to implement. So what's the rationale there? So, I mean, first of all, I want to say that I don't think that neck strength is going to solve every head and neck injury. Um, you know, I think it's part of a multifactorial approach where we look at rule changes and look at, you know, whether that's body checking or collision. But it, when we're talking specifically about neck exercises, I mean, the notion that greater neck strength can reduce head acceleration, um, particularly during heading or during um, collision sports, is that stronger, stiffer necks increase the coupling of the head to the body and then help to stabilize the head on contact. So whether that's body contact or head contact. And so really we're looking at the stiffness, which is the ability to resist deformation. And then the, the strength, which is um, then, you know, being able to, to increase neck stiffness. And so it is really that coupling between the head, neck and torso. And how do you explain this to a patient that you're giving these exercises to increase neck stiffness? Because I know a lot of people might think, well, wait a second, I don't want my neck to be stiff. So how do you can, and I love that you define that. Would you mind repeating it? Because I think it's really important. And how do you explain that to a patient? So I, I tend to explain it to my patient by using sort of the, the, the picture of a, a bobble head. So I do call them bobble heads. So you've got this figure and then this head that moves really freely. And you think if you, if you nudge the, the head, 
it wobbles, you know, quite a lot. Um, and so that's a lot of head acceleration. Even if you touch the body, the head will also move. And so if you think if you are being tackled in sport or you're heading the ball, then there's a lot of head acceleration there. And we use sort of head acceleration. We measure it, you know, with inertial measurement um, units, thinking that, you know, this if the head is moving a lot, the brain is moving a lot. And so if you can reduce the amount of head acceleration by increasing the strength and the stiffness between that bobble head and that fixed body, then that's a way to hopefully um, reduce some of the movement of the brain within the skull. And that makes a lot of sense. And I think that is a great way to say that to your patient because they'll better understand what you mean by neck stiffness. Because I can just see like eyes getting wide, like I don't want a stiff neck, but you're like, well, well, now wait a second. That's not what we're saying. We want you to be able, the neck is still mobile, but we want you to be able to um, accept those forces when they're placed upon you, right? Exactly right. And, you know, we know that um, head injuries and things are getting more prevalent in um, in sport and whether that's because of increased reporting or whether it's just because our athletes are getting fitter, faster, stronger. And so some of the hits that you see in American football and in rugby league and rugby union, I mean, they're horrendous. And, you know, if you've got this head that is really not well connected to the body and you're being hit by a, you know, 100 kilo athlete, then that's such a vulnerable component. And I think that the neck really working in this space it's it's the last area of the body that we routinely exercise you know you would never send an athlete out uh, whether they're that's as a prevention or whether they're post-injury without doing knee exercises you know you wouldn't have an ACL and say right there's no pain there off you go and yet we do it quite regularly with the neck yes very much so And now when we're talking about strengthening the neck, how do you measure um, the strength of the neck? So there are lots of ways that you can measure the strength of the neck. And a lot of these different methods have been shown to have good reliability. My issue is whether they're valid and they're valid within particular sports cohorts. So when you're looking at um, assessing neck strength, I mean, generally when you're looking at any assessment of muscle strength, There's reasons why you do this. You might be using it as an outcome measure, but generally you're doing it to inform the load that you will will apply when you're then exercising. So when you measure neck strength, it has to have some carryover to the position that the athlete is going to be in for their sport. um, And it also has to have some carryover to what you're trying to resist. So with the neck, for example, you're trying to resist lots of head acceleration. So generally you need to assess the neck using isometric or maximal isometric contractions because you want to resist movement. Most sports are upright, you know, they're running, jumping, uh, walking, running. And and so you need to be upright when you test them if that's how you're also going to exercise them. Now, there may be differences. So if you're um, a rugby forward, you're going to be in a scrum position. So there may be reasons why you want to replicate a scrum position to test an athlete. But some measurements of neck strength are done in a a supine and prone position. And these can often give you very different neck strength profiles to when you actually assess somebody upright. And there's problems if you are assessing someone in supine or prone, but you want to exercise them upright um, because because you just don't know what the actual uh, maximal strength score is in that sport specific position. So the way that I measure neck strength is that I get them fixed in a seated position because 
I can standardize that position much better. And I use a break technique. So this is really looking at eccentric loading in an isometric position um, until you can break the contraction, I guess, of the neck. And this is shown in lots of different areas of the body that a break technique will yield much higher scores than a make technique. And so again, if you're using the break technique, particularly because you're generally trying to keep the head and neck still when there's contact placed on the head or body, um, then that is sort of like an eccentric load. So this will give us our maximal score for, we test the flexors, extensors, left and right side flexors, and then this gives us a much better a, um, a maximal result that we can use for percentage of one rep max when we're thinking about load. And are you using a handheld dynamometer for that? Yes, I probably should have said that first, yeah. but I am using a handheld dynamometer with a, a load cell in series that's placed um, on the head with a, with a head harness. Um, and so, yes, you do incrementally load that. Yeah, nice. And now how how do we know what normal is? Like what's a normal strength profile for a neck? And, and then how do we know what's normal for a position within a sport? And that's a great question because when you when you look at the literature that's out there, the first thing I always do is I look at what was the method to assess um, neck strength. And if it is in a lying position, then I, I take the results slightly with a pinch of salt because they too tend to give you a different neck strength profile. So um, there are a lot of studies, particularly in rugby, that have been tested using the same method that I that I use. And this was first developed by, by Don Gatherer. So it, it's not any great surprise that I use that because we used it in clinic for a very long time and tested hundreds of athletes. But now having moved into that research space and had a look at all the different ways that you can test neck strength, it's still my preferred method. And so we've tested rugby athletes, we've tested football players. And what we're generally finding, and this is sort of consistent with the literature and what we expect a neck strength profile to look like, is that the extensors should be the strongest. So if you look at a result and the extensors are not the strongest, is it related to the testing technique or the position that they're tested in or is there a problem there so is it an injured population that might give you something that's a bit different so extensors should be strongest um, flexors are generally the weakest and side flexors will sit somewhere in the middle there depending on the the population so in rugby and american football you often do want to have the side flexors to be stronger and a lot stronger than the flexors um, so they tend to have a very wide sort of neck radar if you were to plot this on a graph whereas if you have football players for example because of the conditioning from um, heading a ball, they may actually have quite strong flexors. So I always have a look and plot the results on a radar. And then I also calculate the flexor to extensor ratio to see what that looks like. And so in the literature, normal is often considered around 0.6 of a flexor extensor ratio, but I have seen it as low as 0.5 or as high as 0.7. But I always think if, if, if in a um, a sporting population, if it's below 0.6, to me, that's a, that's a, not necessarily a red flag, but it's certainly a yellow flag. Mm -hmm. It's problematic mm. or can lead to, can lead to more problems. Yes. And where can people, if they're wondering like, Hey, wh where can they find the method that you use to strengthen? Is there a paper? Is there something you can point to? Cause we can sort of put it in the show notes. 
Yeah, so um, I do detail the, the method for assessing neck strength in a paper that we published um, earlier this year in sports medicine. So we looked at um, the neck strength of football players, adolescent football players from 12 to 17, and then we implemented a neck strengthening exercise program and to see whether um, by strengthening the neck, this actually had an impact on reducing head acceleration during heading, and we found that it did. So the, the, the neck strengthening method is, is detailed in that paper. Perfect. So we'll have that paper. We'll put it in the show notes, a link to it so that people can read it at their leisure. Now, um, we talked about why you're looking at it, how you're evaluating it. What does a training program look like? So that's that's really interesting as well, because um, I think because there's not a lot of published literature on neck strengthening, I think you, you tend to find that you have different um, camps of people, some that are very pro neck strengthening, and that, that certainly is myself. And, you know, a bit like um, you were saying earlier is that um, it's low hanging fruit. You know, why wouldn't we try and strengthen it? Because the potential gain is huge and it, it, it we wouldn't not strengthen any other area of the body. So um, I kind of think what, you know, why wouldn't you do it? But on the back of that, we also have to think what's the best way to, to strengthen the neck. And I think some people are quite negative towards neck strengthening because some of the papers that have been published, um, the exercises that they use are sort of self-resisted exercises where they're pushing against their forehead and holding that and doing isometric holds. And a number of studies have shown that this doesn't really have an impact. It may not even impact in re increasing strength and it may not have an impact in um, reducing injury risk as well. And that makes sense. You know, I don't implement those exercises because when you're talking about reducing something like concussion or um, heading in football, those hits happen in fractions of seconds. So we don't need to have high endurance of the neck or just isometric control over a long hold. What we need to be able to do is fire those muscles really, really quickly. And so we've been playing with some neuromuscular exercises. Um, so it is in our paper that was published in Sports Medicine, but I'll try and describe it. But you're kind of in a, a sit up position, but you're rolling backwards and forwards and you're trying to stop your head from hitting the ground and so the idea from that is really to try and contract the neck flexors really quickly if the head's in neutral and then we turn the head to the side and the other side and we do the same exercises but the idea is that you've got that anti-gravity strengthening but you've also got you know you're, you're, you're trying to stress the muscles to, to fire really quickly um, and that's what they have to do so most of the, the the literature that is talking about neck strengthening is sort of indicating that we need to do some sort of isometric exercise, but with ballistic intent. And that's the bit that is often missing for most of the neck exercises in the literature. Yeah. And that's the exercise you described in Monaco. It's sort of if, for people, if you've ever taken Pilates, it's rolling kind of like rolling like a ball is kind of what that's kind of, you know, that's, that's at least what I got from it. And I remember I got back to my room and I was like, well, I'm going to try and see what happens here. And it is not as easy as it sounds. No, and 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 it and it it does it does work the neck quite hard. You can see it. You can see the neck contractions in somebody else that's doing it. But the the way that we sort of played with this exercise, and I will just credit Theo Verstig for also um, we we meet on a regular basis and we talk about neck exercises, and he's also widely published in the neck um, strengthening arena and was part of this paper as well. But what we were trying to do was come up with an exercise that used no equipment that didn't take long. So these exercises take ninety seconds, and that could be added 
added to an existing neuromuscular program. So in this case, we added it to the part two of the FIFA 11 plus. And this is really important because I actually don't think isolated neck exercises is probably going to give you the best bang for buck either. I think we need to integrate it into, you know, other strength and conditioning programs. And again, this is sometimes where you see in the literature that they're just adding neck exercises without thinking about, well, what is that neuromuscular control to the trunk as well? And how are we stimulating that? Yeah, that makes so much sense to not just do things in isolation. I mean, gosh, especially when you're talking about athletes who rare, there's not many athletes that do things in isolation. And on that note, we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor and be right back. When it comes to boosting your clinic's online visibility, reputation, and increasing referrals, NetHealth's digital marketing solutions has the tools you need to beat the competition. They know you want your clinic to get found, get chosen, and definitely get those five-star reviews on Google. NetHealth has a fun new offer. If you sign up and complete a marketing audit to learn how digital marketing solutions can help your clinic win, they will buy lunch for your office. If you're already using NetHealth Private Practice EMR, be sure to ask about its new integration. Head over to nethealth.com forward slash L-I-T-Z-Y to sign up for your complimentary marketing audit. No, no. And and I think that that's just really important to get that adherence as well, because if they think it's an add-on program and it's going to take ages and 10 minutes to an athlete, it's actually quite a long time when they're doing so many other areas of the body that if we could integrate it into existing programs or integrating into multi-joint movements, um, then it makes sense to them and, it, and it's, it's, it's integrated, it's not an add-on. Right. Because of course, as we all know, as physiotherapists, one of the hardest things uh, through a rehab process is the patient doing the rehab, right? So the best exercise is the one they're going to do. So if you explain it well and you integrate it, you're more likely to have that patient do the exercise. Have you found that? Have you found difficulty patients adhering to, to, to the program? So, so we didn't. We did. We did look at the evaluation and feasibility. So, my my PhD is actually on adherence to exercise. So, it was something that was really at the forefront of my mind when setting any exercise intervention that we need to have some sort of process to evaluate it and see whether the you know the the players and the coaches found it feasible and did it take too long? Could they see the benefits of it? And it generally scored really really highly. Um, and I think that is the fact that we try to just minimise the time that it took. Um, that that it was complex. So, you know, uh, the youngest athletes were sort of 12 years of age and, you know, they all understood what they needed to do, but also to make it, you know, applicable to their sport. I think that's really important. And what are your thoughts on um, different kinds of strengthening? You know, we see things on you, people will see things on YouTube and I don't mean to go down a rabbit hole on that, but, you know, tying weights around their head, bands around their head, doing things with um, bands and weights with movement of the neck. What are your thoughts on that? So there's certainly some crazy stuff um, on um, on YouTube or TikTok, and and I think that's not necessarily specific to the neck. Um, I, I I just think that again, what you've got to try and do, and you know, I think exercise therapists, whether that's physios or exercise physiologists that do exercise really well, they understand the sport and they understand the mechanism of injury. And so if you're going to add a weight to your neck, you've got to think, okay, well, how am I adding the weight and how is it replicating 
you know, the risk of injury or what I need to do within my sport. And so if you're in a crouch position, which I've seen in lots of um, videos where they've got a head harness attached to the neck and then there's really, really heavy weight at the end. And I kind of think, why are you doing that? What, what's that for? And maybe in the scrum, maybe that's applicable. But, you know, I can think of very few reasons why you would need to do that. And when they hang weights off the top of their heads, you know, you think of that, you know, that axial loading that they're doing. Again, why would you want to do that? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> that's why I asked. And so we got an answer. I don't know. I really do not know why you'd want to do that. Um, but now, now listening to uh, you talk about your research, it just makes so much more sense to integrate it in a neuromuscular um, based exercise, you know, integrating it with other muscles within the body and making sure that it makes sense for the position and the sport of the person. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think this is about knowing, knowing your patients, knowing your athletes. And, um, and if you apply that sort of methodology for any exercise, you know, whenever you see someone, so I've been invited to do some work with the um, RAAF here, so the Air Force, and I don't know a lot about pilots, but you just go in and you talk to the pilots and you say, okay, so what do you do? And, you know, when does your neck hurt? And, and, and how long are you in that sustained position? And how much G-force are you being exposed to when you're in a fighter jet? And, and you just kind of start to understand, you know, what um, what's happening to this person and how is that potentially, you know, making them at risk of injury? And then how do we need to train those muscles in a way that stimulates, you know, what they're exposed to as part of their job or part of their sport? I mean, you, you do that with every other joint of the body. You know, I think we routinely do that, but we just need to do it at the neck as well. Yeah. And great advice. And now is there anything as you know, through our conversation today that we didn't touch upon about your research, maybe about your PhD work that you think would the audience would really love to hear more about? Um, I think that it's important. Um, I, what I think is important, and I think I sort of said this a bit earlier on that we, you know, really need to make sure that the research in this space is really high quality research and that we understand, you know, the mechanism of injury, particularly things like concussion, that we don't think that neck strength is going to solve everything. But, you know, when we're reading papers, it, it's understanding, you know, what method did they use? You know, are the results actually believable or did the, the way that they measured neck strength have given you such an unusual profile that actually shouldn't read any further in the paper or it's just not applicable to your athletes, for example? Um, and so I, I think that we need to be much more critical in the way that we apply research in neck strengthening. Um, and, I, and I think that although I'm very passionate about neck strengthening as an intervention, you know, I, I don't think we we should overplay what we can potentially do in this space either. It's just part of our toolbox, but it's not going to be everything. Yeah, there it's not the panacea for all ills having to do with head and neck injuries. That's right. And, and it, I think that if, if you don't understand about how to integrate a neck strengthening program, I mean, I'm very happy for people to reach out to me. But, you know, you talk to people and, you know, as I say, critically appraise what's going on. And, and, and I think, you know, if you're really good at designing exercise programs, get creative, you know, have a little bit of a play of what you're trying to do. And, and, and I think that's often how we get really innovative in the way that we approach exercise programming as well. Yeah. And it also sounds to me like there's not a one size fits all approach. 
exercise or program? No, I mean, I think there's things you don't do um, and then everything else is kind of open to, yeah, depending on your athlete. So yeah, don't hang a weight off your head. <laughs> yes, that is fabulous advice. And now as we start to wrap things up, I'm going to ask you the question that I ask everyone. And that's knowing where you are now in your life and career, what advice would you give to yourself as a, a new grad right out of physio school, your younger self? I think that's a great question. Um, and I, I don't regret anything that I've done in my career, but I would say that I've probably come to really specializing in neck strengthening a, a bit too late. Um, so we we started um, in the early 2000s. So my first paper was published in 2005. And as I say, I got distracted doing other things and I wish I'd continued with it. Um, and, I, and I didn't partly because I was having children and I'd moved to Australia and, and just life got in the way. And when I came back to it um, oh, in the probably about about 2015, 16, um, so 10 years later, and nothing had moved forward really. And I just thought, oh, that was a really missed opportunity. And um, so I, I, if I could go back in time, I would probably, yeah, I would try and squash those 10 years into maybe 18 months. Well, that would be pretty amazing time traveling. Um, so where can people find you if they have questions, they want to follow you on social media, where can they go? Um, so the best place to find me is on Twitter. So I'm at peak underscore Kerry. I, I don't tweet about anything other than my research. Um, so that's the best place to find me. And then you can always drop me a, a message through there. Um, otherwise, you can probably find me via Google um, at my email address at the University of Sydney. Perfect. And just so everyone knows, we will have a link to the papers that we mentioned today. Uh, so if you want to read up on those, don't worry, they will be in the show notes at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. And Carrie, I want to thank you for coming on. Like I said, I really loved your presentation in Monaco, which was just a short snippet of kind of the amount of things that we talked about in the podcast today. So thank you so much for taking the time out and coming on. No, thank you. Ashley went to your presentation in Monaco as well. And you've informed a lot of what I do as well about, you know, I, I think that most researchers are quite ego driven and I'm not an exception to that. And we think that if we publish a paper that somebody's going to read it and we're going to change the world. And that rarely happens because players and coaches don't read um, research. And so um, your presentation was about, you know, engaging with the media and um, doing a lot more in the social media space. And that really hit home to me that we have to try and bridge that gap if we're going to translate research to practice. So no, thank you. Oh, well, that's nice. I'm glad to hear that. I will pass that along to uh, my partner, Osman, as well. Um, so thank you for that. And again, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. And all of you listening, thanks so much for tuning in. Have a great couple of days and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart. And a big thank you to Dr. Carrie Peak, And of course, thank you to our sponsor, Net Health. So again, when it comes to boosting your clinic's online visibility, reputation, referrals, and getting those five-star reviews on Google, check out NetHealth Digital Marketing Solutions. They have the tools you need to beat the competition. Right now, they have a new offer if you sign up and complete a marketing audit to learn how digital marketing solutions can help your clinic win. They'll buy lunch for your office. Head over to nethealth.com forward slash L-I-T-Z-Y to sign up for your complimentary marketing audit today. Thank you for listening and please subscribe to the podcast at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media.